Welcome to the Performance Anxiety Podcast. I am your host, Mark, and I want to thank our sponsor, AKG, for sending us their Podcaster Essentials Kit. It comes with the Lyra mic, which is amazing, and a very comfortable set of headphones. It's all you need to start your own podcast affordably and quickly. Lizzie Edwards of Lizzie and the Makers is my guest, and we were having a really fun talk when we were rudely interrupted by an uninvited guest. We were talking about music literally being in her DNA, how she had created and booked a blues festival featuring her band when everyone but Lizzie decided to quit two weeks before the show. That led to meeting Greg McMullen and the formation of Lizzie and the Makers. They've been going strong for 10 years now and have a new album coming out in September. Lizzie describes it as a love letter to David Lynch. I don't know about you guys, but that's enough for me to be interested. There's a lot of great stories here, like playing in a cover band with a bunch of lawyers and her dad, getting Reeves Gabrels involved in the new album, and having TikTok performance anxiety. So follow the band at Lizzie and the Makers on social media, order the new album at lizzieandthemakers.com, follow us at Performance ANX on social media, merch is available at performanceanx.threadless.com, including shower curtains. We happily accept a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. So buckle up and pay attention because this one comes full circle. Here's Lizzie Edwards of Lizzie and the Makers on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Um, okay, what do I have to say? What's my band name? What's my name? Um, right, that's right. Liz and the Doers. Uh, hi, this is Lizzie Edwards from Lizzie and the Makers. And I am on Performance Anxiety talking about our new album set to drop September 2021 with the lovely Mark Shea. <laughs> Hi. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for coming on. This is going to be fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, of course, of course. The way I like to, to kind of start things is to kind of figure out or, or learn more about where you came from, because I think that'll help under, help us understand and, and appreciate the new album a little more. Of course, yeah. So, what I want to find out about is growing up. From what I've read, you, you had almost no choice but to become a musician. You ha- it's literally in your DNA. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, my father... Uh, was a guitarist, and then his parents were classical musicians. So his father was an opera singer. Oh wow! There was a classical harpsichordist. Oh wow, that's impressive. Yeah, but it's interesting. You know, I was never actually told to be a musician. I just kind of took a class, and and my parents, you know, wanted me to choose that for myself, and and I just. I just did. It just came naturally. So, wow. So, uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I had no, I had, I had a choice, but I didn't really have a choice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you start off with piano, right? You're studying piano. I think I read. Yeah. So I went to, I think I was about four years old and I went to a kid's music class and after class, I noticed one of the kids staying behind to take piano lessons with the teacher. And I was really jealous. And I said, I want to do that too. Um, so yeah, I started uh, with piano and then 
went to music school. And so I had to take a lot of theory classes. And in these classes, you do a lot of ear training and, and uh, singing as well. And, okay. and then but that's how I kind of transitioned from piano to singing eventually. Oh, okay. So it wasn't automatic. It wasn't something that, that you were just doing anyway. You Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I know, had noticed that when I was doing choral work and stuff like that, people would turn to me and say, oh, you actually have a good voice. And I thought, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't something I initially set out to pursue or or make my main instrument in any way. So. Wow. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah. your voice is incredibly powerful. <laughs> so it, it got there eventually yeah. <laughs> with a lot of training. Uh, I think I started out very sweet and then eventually <laughs> the darkness set <laughs> in. And- <laughs> <laughs> you found the blues. Yeah. <laughs> so how old were you when you really started thinking about playing in bands and, and, and playing in front of people? Um, in, well, in in middle school and high school, um, I was always in the, the musicals, um, and I really enjoyed that. Okay. But it wasn't until college that I thought, oh, you know, maybe being in a band would be cool. Maybe I could actually do this. You know, I thought of myself as a musical theater singer or a classical singer, not really a rock singer and you know, or a singer in that format. And my first band, I think, freshman year. I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When I graduated college, I thought, you know what? I I still want to do that. That's I don't want that fun to end. So that's all the end. I don't don't want the fun to end. And that's why I started drinking. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So it's not makers. Sorry, but. Oh, that's okay. It's Buffalo endorsement yet. So. Oh, well. Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace is great. I love Buffalo Trace. Oh my gosh. It's hard to get around here. So it's, it's, uh, I'd savor it. Uh, and it's a, it's very, um, it's a good price. I would say for the quality. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And they make this, um, stuff called white dog. I don't know if you've ever, if you've had that, I don't don't know if they're still making it, but it's a, uh, it's like the mash that they make the whiskey with. They separate that and they'll, they sell that. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Oh, it is really good. It's called white dog and it's, it's, Kind of like whiskey, but it's a lot sweeter. It's, it's delicious. I, I finished the last bottle I had of that, so I got to go find some more. Oh, yeah, it's so good. But all right, so back to music and not booze. Although, you know, we can, we can talk about both. It's fine. <laughs> so what were you listening to growing up that really influenced you? Uh, who, was, who was really catching your ear in your influential stages? Well, when I was younger... Um, I'm sorry. I'm distracted because <laughs> it's really humid and I can't tell if my refrigerator is making a noise or if I have a mouse in my apartment. <laughs> 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 so I'm sorry. I'm, That's okay. I have like ETS living in Washington Heights and having a a mouse family uh, try to live with me. So, oh gosh. That- anyway. Sorry. No, uh, it's okay. I, I totally, I totally understand that because I, I lived in Alabama for ten years and I was constantly fighting off nature, trying yeah. to trying to get into my house. Well, New York City mice too are are very bold. Oh. I mean, country, right? They just kind of mind their own business and like sneak around. Yeah. But in New York City, they'll come right up. They'll come right up to you. 
or crawl on your bed and yeah. Uh, so. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. This might be a very interesting. Hey, and we'll see if see what happens. <laughs> no problem. That, I love it. This could be the best podcast ever. Uh, all right. So I I was asking you, uh, who were you listening to, and who's really influencing you when you were really starting to to take music seriously? Right. Well, um, my dad was a big fan of. He grew up playing guitar in the 60s. It's ah. a very loud noise. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I love it. Um, he, he grew up playing guitar in the 60s. So I grew up listening to a lot of Aretha Franklin and Chuck Berry, Ray Charles, and a lot of that kind of, you know, uh, period of music. And so Aretha was definitely a big influence for me. And I always wanted to sing like her. And I always, to this day, I feel like she's my benchmark. Like oh, wow. I, I practice her songs a lot. Her range is much more extensive than mine is, but I'm, but I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's what influenced kind of my love of soul music and soul singing and, um, kind of what eventually led me to the blues. Okay. And so you said you were singing in college and on that. Is that when you really started to think about doing music professionally? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it was fun in college, but I also realized, wow, this is something that I have not only have a knack for, but that this is very, I don't know. I think I have a raccoon in here. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Anyway, um, <laughs> I did about doing it professionally. And then it's when I graduated college, I realized, wow, the only thing I really practiced or, you know, studied or was able to get up for early in the morning was kind of singing live. So when I graduated, I thought, oh, you know what, let's let's give it a shot and see, see how far I get. And, and I just I mean, again, it's just the only thing I can really motivate to to work hard on um you know writing english papers not so much but but learning learning vocal parts and memorizing lyrics and and performing just kind of i'm willing to put the work in for that (laughs) i yeah and it shows too i'll tell you but now when you're out and performing are you mainly singing or are you playing piano or keyboards at all or you just focused on one at that point Um, you should create more than this is hold on. I'm just gonna. Sure, I'll be your witness. All right, I just threw something over there. See if it's... This is crazy. Um, okay. Did anything move? <laughs> no, but the noise stopped. So Uh-oh. I think, I think we do have a, a creature of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> this this is a podcast first for me. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to keep t- chucking things over yeah, there. No problem. Um, so, you know, it's funny. I like, I grew up playing piano and then I, when I started singing, I, I never really put the two together. And I think being a classical pianist, you know, there's a form and you have to, ha- there's a time signature and a metronome. Yeah. It's not rigid so much as there's a lot of structure. Okay. Whereas with singing, you know, piano, I would read the music and, and memorize it. And with singing, that was just kind of more of a natural thing. 
the harmonies I could just hear as opposed to having to read the music. Yeah. So I was always really reluctant to kind of put the together because playing piano, I never just sat down like I would do with singing and played chords or could know just kind of improvise on the piano like I could vocally. And so I was really intimidated about putting the two together. And during the pandemic, as we're calling it now, I had a, a standing gig with my guitarist that moved inside and the owner insisted that if we keep playing, someone has to play the piano. They had this beautiful piano. Oh, wow. But want, you know, if we're going to have music, someone has to play the piano. We're not just going to have you stand around the piano. Um, and so I thought, well, I guess this is as good a time as any for me to practice and start learning how to do this. And so just in the last year, I started doing doing both. Oh, and wow. Of course, in our live shows too so how's that going it's going really well it's i'm better at it than i thought it would be (laughs) but it is hard i mean especially when you're singing blues and soul you're not your vocals aren't necessarily exactly in sync with what you're playing on the piano so there are some times where i'm singing behind the beat but the piano is playing on the beat oh and that takes a lot of focus yeah and that's a little challenging but you know practice makes it i mean that's really the secret practicing where it's innate and you don't have to think about it anymore yeah i was amazed by uh steve winwood actually as a performer because he right he plays keys and sings but then he's also playing the bass line with his foot when he plays the organ so he's you know the he's singing the melody he's playing chords and the bass line all at the same time which is just i mean it makes my brain hurt thinking about (laughs) guys people who can do that are just amazing like him getty lee this just yeah right oh god how the hell do they do it i mean i can't i can't play one instrument let alone do three things at once it's just unreal yeah, it's a lot. I mean, I think about that, too, with uh, drummers who sing like, you know, like in the band. I'm just like, how are you doing that? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's that, I mean, the level of talent is is just insane. But what, what was the gap between you leaving college and then starting Lizzie and the Makers? How long of a time period? And I just smacked my microphone. So that's going to sound awesome on the <laughs> podcast. How big of a gap are we talking? We're, we're th- you and I are both throwing things today. This is I, gonna- I know. This is a, this is a crazy <laughs> situation we're both in separately together. Um, yes. <laughs> and I don't even have an excuse for smacking my microphone. It's, it's here all the time. I should be used to it. <laughs> um. So... I started, so Lizzie and the Makers started in 2011 and I graduated okay. in 2004. Okay. So people do the math. You'll know how old I am now. But, uh, <laughs> we can, we can bleep out one of those dates. Okay. <laughs> 2000 bleep. Um, so there was a pretty big gap and I sang in a couple of cover bands at first. Okay. Before I started writing. And then I started working in a recording studio And the owner was like, oh, let's record you a demo. And so I started writing songs. And that's when I realized, okay, I kind of don't want to just sing cover songs and in a cover band. I kind of want to start expressing myself through lyrics and original songs. And yeah, the way it happened, I mean, I had sung in a blues band that I wrote a couple songs for, kind of hopped around, but hadn't really found anything that clicked. Okay. And then it was in 2011 when I met Greg McMullen, who still in Lizzie the Makers and, and my co-writer 
that we started writing together and it just really, it took off and we never, never looked back, but there was a lot in between college and that happening. There was a lot of good and bad that happened. <laughs> uh, yeah. You see, she said cover bands, but were the original stuff, was it mainly blues focused or was there a, a, a variety? I started at the beginning. It was definitely mainly blues and I didn't even realize it. I was just kind of was writing what I felt. And then the studio studio owner said, he's like, you, you're writing blues songs. You know that, right? And I was like, Oh, I guess so. Um, so, so you're right. So, and most of the stuff I write, even on this album coming out, the stuff that I've kind of, where I've started the melody and Greg, kind of takes it to a different place those really all almost always start out as blues songs i'm, I'm not really sure why towards <laughs> <laughs> that 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 can be another another episode but um, yeah when you're writing is it difficult because i, th- I think i heard a quote and I, th- I think it was buddy guy who said the blues is the most difficult genre of music to write in because so much has already been done and it. it's hard to f- be original. It's right. Do you find that where you're, you're writing and you're like, Oh, I've already done this. or this has already been done. Is it difficult for you? It is. It is. I mean, it is a challenge and, it, and it's definitely something. It's why I'm glad I have Greg to work with me because I'll bring him something that is like traditional blues and then he'll make a little change. Like he'll add, he'll sneak a weird chord in there <laughs> or add an extra beat because the same thing he's like i don't want this to sound like every other blue song i want to make this our own and make it you know have these little unexpected turns in the song but that is something we definitely focus on because yeah you know blues and a like how many blues songs in a are there and and what can you really do to make them sound like yours and not like everything else um in general is derivative right everything is inspired by what came before it but but yeah we like to try to keep it interesting and not a carbon copy of stuff people have already heard otherwise you're just a cover band exactly so how did you meet greg in the first place so i was working at a music venue in williamsburg brooklyn called pete's candy store i was working there as a sound engineer and he played there a lot he lived across the street and played in a bunch of bands there and I had kind of con- I had convinced the owner to let me throw this little one day blues festival at Pete's Candy Store. And of course, you know, being a singer, all singers have some level of, of narcissism. <laughs> I decided I had to headline it. So um, <laughs> the band I was in, though, that was supposed to headline folded, I think, two weeks before the festival was supposed to happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, we recorded an album, which I funded. We had a CD release. It went great. And then the next day, the band leader said to me, okay, that's it. That's all we wanted to do. Record an album, play it. That was my dream. The band is done. And I thought, oh, well, shit. Wow. And so I mentioned it to some, you know, everyone who worked at this music venue, most people were musicians. I mean, or had had a love of music in some way. And uh so I just started asking my coworkers, said, hey, do you guys want to put some songs together and play? And Greg heard this through the grapevine, just came up to me when I was working one night and said, I heard you're starting a band. I want to be in it. Wow. And I said, I haven't even heard me sing. How do you know I'm any good? He said, 
I, I have a good feeling that you're good. So, so let's do this. And, you know, it started out as just something we're going to do for fun, but then we tried writing and it just worked and, and we never stopped. So, yeah, so that's how, that's how it happened. We didn't, there was no like online, you know, Craigslist ad for to our and fan nobody, member or anything like that. We just nobody got murdered. Up. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Come play the bass and then never, no one will ever see you again. Exactly. <laughs> that was my dream. Now <laughs> it's over. So, all right. Lizzie and the makers. Yes. I think I know this story, but how did this, how did the name come about? Greg and I were sitting at Pete's. I think we had decided we were going to play together and we thought, okay, well, I guess we need a band name. <laughs> um, and at the time, I think there were a lot of, ba- you know, there was the, the strokes and the white stripes and a lot of bands were naming themselves like the something. The, the so, bands, uh, the, the bands. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. So we're like, okay, well let's do something like that. Um, but let's have it. And then but it was Greg's idea. He said, well, it should be Lizzie and the somethings. Your name should be in there. And I said, okay, cool. So we're sitting at the bar and just having a drink and looking at the liquor shelves. And we just start going down the line of whiskey bottles. And we're like, you know, Lizzie and the Jamesons. Lizzie and the Doers, Lizzie and the Bullets, Lizzie and the Knob Creeks, Lizzie and <laughs> Lizzie, Lizzie and the Knobs would have been <laughs> right. Lizzie and the Knobs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, Lizzie and the Makers. We're like, oh, that has a good ring to it. All right, let's uh, let's go with that. And I mean, at the time too, we were kind of doing it tongue in cheek and really had no intention of having this band last beyond this one gig. <laughs> wow. Yeah, now here we are 10 years later. How long after that gig did you guys start writing and creating material for the first EP? Um, I think it was pretty much right after that gig. I booked something else and I booked another show and we were learning more. You know, it was a lot of blues standards and, and blues songs. And Greg just sent me, he sent me a track and he said, this is something, an instrumental I've worked on. It needs a melody and lyrics. Do you write? And I said, yeah, you know, I, I write a little bit. And he said, all right, well, here's this song, come up with something. And at the rehearsal, let's just, let's try it out. And, um, so, I mean, it was, it was almost immediately after that first gig. And then in the rehearsal, uh, he started playing what he had sent me and I started singing along to it with my words. And he was just like, I think he was very surprised. I think his expectations were pretty low at first. <laughs> uh, but uh, the song is it's called 3.5, which is on our first album. because it's actually like the third song Greg sent to me to work on oh, and like okay. just named the file name was like song 3.5. So we're very <laughs> with our song names, but, <laughs> but yeah, that just worked. And then we thought, okay, let's go with this. And, and we've really grown together as songwriters. I mean, 
improved. Mine has improved. So yeah, everything happened really organically, which just doesn't really happen with bands. You know, you hear stories about rock bands and fighting and people Uh, quitting, fired and kind of kept going with the flow. And I don't know. Bands, you know, getting together, writing an album and then dissolving. Yeah. I mean, that (laughs) happened to me for this before the makers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The band that you have right now, it's it's got a hell of a pedigree. I mean, so I'm looking at who Greg's worked with, you know, Chris Whitley. I mean, unreal, yeah. uh, Greaves Cabrales. Um, and I, I get her name wrong all the time. Michelle Indigacello. I think you said that right. I hope so, because I've said it like seven different ways. <laughs> uh, Trixie Whitley. Yeah. Twilight Singers. I love the Twilight Singers. I'm like, and I love and Greg Dooley and Mark Lanigan. Let's see. Glenn Branca. I, I love oh, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and that really, all of those, I guess, Greg's resume really speaks to his playing and songwriting style, right? Because he's got Chris Whitley and, and that blues background, but then yeah. he's also played pedal steel and more kind of country-ish bands um but then with glenn bronca i mean that's just totally off the wall avant-garde oh yeah I, and i know, love that coming in in any song so yeah. i mean all of that really makes up greg and his kind of his songwriting brain which which i love so <laughs> and, and the rest of the band i mean steve williams on drums and he's played with Shade and diggable planets uh the keyboardist rob chloris black crows Brett Bass played with Greg Allman, Regina Spector, Bernie, yeah. Bernie Worrell. I mean, it's yeah. just this band you've got going. is just unbelievable. I know. They're pretty great. <laughs> and then you with this voice, it's just incredible. <laughs> the first song I heard by you guys when we were first trying to hash everything out was Mojo Hand. And yeah, that is killer. So that song is so interesting because we were actually going to release that as our next single. Ooh. We're releasing a different one instead, but I think I think we will release that one. But it's so funny. People love that song, but it's seven minutes long. It's just kind of like we dare be that bold and release a seven minute single. Um, <laughs> but it's also cool because Reeves plays guitar on that and the theremin. He plays the theremin that you hear at the end. Oh, really? And I'll... I will be completely candid with you. I've only heard the live version because I've only heard two tracks off the new album. Ah, yes. So, well, so the recorded version is uh, is pretty special oh, and man. out there. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Now that we've had that, now we are going to really. That's the third single. I'm yes. excited. Yes. Help me that. All right. <laughs> well, because that's another song that like 
it's not traditional. It's not, I mean, it's, it's in seven, it's a seven minute long song in seven. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, the question is, do we release something that everybody can kind of relate to and, and sing along to, or do we release something that's just totally bizarre? And yeah, I like the, I like the bizarre. So I gathered that because I know you and Greg are both big Pink Floyd fans. Yes. Huge, huge. Yes. (laughs) And I heard a little bit about that. On the uh, the Meanwhile EP, because which I liked, uh, that was so cool. It's got a, this great Southern rock country feel to it. But there's a little homage to Pink Floyd in Blue Moon. Which... Yes. Oh, yes. See? Yes. You, you got that. Yes. The moon is rising. Rising up. <laughs> I don't I can't read music I I can't play music but I can hear it yeah. <laughs> I think that's the most important part being able to hear it <laughs> well I like to think so being in this you know talking about music and having actual artists on it makes it a little easier we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors With so many different influences in the band, is it hard to kind of wrangle the sound? Are you guys going for a specific sound? I know it's blues-based, but and, and Pink Floyd is definitely blues-based, but there's a lot of other stuff going on. I think what we really strive to do, or, or what, maybe I'll, I'll phrase it this way, what we try not to do is go into writing a song with some kind of contrived idea of how it's going to sound in the end. Okay. We really, everything is just like an idea one person has, and then everybody just builds off of it. We don't, I don't write the big part for Brett and tell him what to play. I don't tell Steve what to play or Rob. And so I think as a result, because we do it that way and everyone has their own little musical input into the songs, in the end, it comes out and you hear these influences. I think if we went in there thinking like, oh, we're going to do a Pink Floyd song that has pedal steel. We want it to sound country. And I mean, it would just be a mess and it would be it would lack authenticity. But because of the way we do things and the, and because we kind of let people just write their own parts and play what they feel, I think that's what makes it work in the end. And then, you know, like you said, because of everybody's resume pedigree all of those influences just come out naturally so yeah i mean I've, i think there have been times where i've sat down thinking and, I, and i've thought oh i want to write a song that sounds like this and it's terrible and it comes out really badly and we never play it again and, <laughs> you know because if it's for it's just it lacks that i don't know that individuality and it, it doesn't really have our fingerprint on it when we do it that way yeah so. it does have the soul Right. So in the songwriting process, is it all collaborative or are you and or Greg coming in with an idea and just telling everybody else to let, let's work around this idea or. Usually what happens is it starts with me and Greg and it'll be one or the other. I mean, there, there've been a couple instances where we sit down and write 
together from the very beginning. But a lot of times it'll be something like I wake up in the middle of the night and hear a melody and I record it in my voice memos and then wake up the next day and send it to Greg and then he'll write around that. Or sometimes, you know, he wakes up in the morning. He's really good at waking up early in the morning and just playing and improvising. And then some riff will come out and he'll send it to me and I'll think, Oh, you know, I'm really digging that. And I hear a melody, but generally it starts with me and Greg in one way or another. And then once we have a few ideas together, we'll call the band in. Usually it's Brett and Steve first. And we just, we send them the demo, we show up to rehearsal and then they just play and they just get, we get each other. So, you know, we don't, I mean, it's not perfect. There are some times where I'll have suggestions, but, um, and then Rob is always the the final layer where he just kind of punctuates everything with this. I don't know. He, he gets the weirdest sounds out of that keyboard. (laughs) You know, he's not just there like playing organ and, or just playing piano. He's really listening to the song and figuring out how to fill different spaces. But yeah, I don't know how we're all on the same wavelength. I hope it I hope it lasts forever. I I dread the day that someone that something doesn't work out or or we're not on the same page, but um I don't want to think about that because I love your sound. Thank you. <laughs> I I've always been a big blues fan ever since I was a teenager and really started to get into it and the sound you guys have is so cool. I love the the country influences and the the rock influences every, you know, it's just, like you're saying, it's hard to be original in the blues and you guys do a really great job of it. Thank you. And it's, it's funny too, because Brett will tell you every time I try to book us blues shows or like get us into a blues festival, Brett's just like, but we're not a blues band. He's like the songs we play aren't traditional 12 bar blues, but it's there, you know, it's in there. Oh yeah. Um, it's undeniable. Yeah. He, he and I will argue about it. <laughs> so you guys are set to release, you've released two singles now off of a new album. So I want to find out a little bit more about this whole new album because you know, 2020 was so screwed up. Yeah. When did you guys start writing this album? Was it before everything shut down or during it? Yes. We actually finished recording it in December of 2019. Okay. I was wondering because I saw some live performances with Mojo Han and, and all from like two years ago. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And I mean, we really, I think we started writing a lot of these songs in like 20, 2017. Oh, and yeah. by 2018, we were ready. We had picked the songs we wanted on the album. That's when we met Mario. I mean, it's just, it takes, you know, I think we finished writing all the songs maybe a year before we even started recording them. Um, But yeah, I mean, Greg and I have both moved, I think five times since (laughs) we started writing these songs. And yeah, it's, we don't rush things. I'm, I'm jealous of very prolific songwriters. There are songwriters out there that will just write 40 songs and then have to pick just 12 to go on the album. And, and we're a little more, we enjoy the process and, and I think we're just more, we're thoughtful with every choice we make, which makes it take a little longer, but yeah. So, so yeah, everything was done before COVID, which I'm glad about. I also was worried about it because I thought, oh God, you know, 
are we going to be able to relate to any of these songs after this crazy year? That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. Like now having gone through this thing, are we different people? I mean, we are, you know, do we have different points of view? Is that lost? Do we have to go in and rewrite songs or, or write new songs so that today in our post pandemic world, these songs fit somewhere in, in the atmosphere and, and listen back to them. You know, they just take on a different meaning. I think they all, they're all very malleable and maybe they meant one thing when we wrote them, but you know, I can hear how they apply to things we went through during the pandemic afterwards. Um, I think a really good song can, can be like that where it doesn't have just one meaning. It's not just current when it comes out and then, and then nobody can relate to it anymore. It just kind of changes meaning as you change, as the listeners change and everyone can take something different away from it. So, but but I was worried about that. I was like, Oh God. (laughs) Well, that's quality songwriting though. I mean, (laughs) like I said, if it can change the meaning and, and not be like the thong song. You know, right, right, exactly. On one hand, you want to write that because that's pretty popular. But on the other hand, you know, who remembers that song besides me right now? Uh, I had forgotten all about that song until you just brought it up. And now it's going to be stuck in my head for the rest of the night. So thank you. You're no problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get your mind off the refrigerator visitor. That was a Cisco, right? Yes, I think so. See? I, yeah, I see. You remember the the artist. I remember the song. So, I mean, he had a great voice. We would, <laughs> so you and I would make a great team at bar trivia night. <laughs> yes, yeah. trivia. I'll do pretty well. Geography, history. I'm not your girl. <laughs> well, bar history is usually pretty basic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, even the basic stuff, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not good with remembering date for some reason. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I blocked, I blocked, <laughs> there's a part of my brain that is just like, no, when it comes to history, ever since high school, it's just, it's like, I, I got, I got to use my brain for other things or my brain wants to use itself for other things. It just, but uh, music, I'm your. <laughs> All right. So speaking of music, how did Reeves Cabrels get involved in the new album? Um, so this is just another story of, I mean, again, it's just like me and Greg meeting, it, being in the right place at the right time. Timing has, I think, everything to do with us as a band. Um, Reeves and Greg met, I want to say 30 years ago, but I always get it, get it wrong again. Wow. I'm bad with history and uh, I'll, I always get it wrong. And then afterwards, Greg is like, I told you it was this many years sorry (laughs) but they met a long time ago greg was a big fan of of reeves and i think and i get this part wrong too there's some music store i think greg worked there or they both shopped there and greg kind of was always you know following him around and really wanted to meet him and then finally i think reeves gave him the time day and said (laughs) come over and play some guitar and he said yes and so Reeves really became a mentor for him fast forward to 2018 Reeves is a member of the cure and it was in between tours and kind of just going stir crazy living in upstate New York and he reached out to Greg and said hey I'm really bored 
I need to do something. Can I jump on your gigs? Wow. And I was like, um, yes. But yeah. <laughs> that, of course you can. Yeah. Did three shows in a row with Reeves. And then he just liked our music. We liked him. We opened for him a couple of times. And he was the one who kind of said, Oh, he invited, here's how it goes. Now I remember. He invited Mario J. McNulty to one of our shows. And Mario and Reeves had worked together on a David Bowie album. And so Mario came to the show. He really liked what he heard. And Reeves and Mario had been looking for a project to do together. And they decided we were going to be that project. Wow. So, and then we talked about it and planned it. And I hired Mario and, and we were off to the races. So, I mean, if Reeves had been on tour, if Mario had been out of town, I mean, who knows if we hadn't had any gigs, I, I mean, it just kind of all fell into place. And it's kind of one of those like storybook tales where, you know, you're like in a club playing to two people, but those two people happen to be. What the? Out of Is my animal now in your? Yeah. Something, something. What was that? Oh, my son just knocked over a keyboard. Oh, okay. I was like, did that mouse virtually? <laughs> Both of us now? Be me um, up, mousy. <laughs> but yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of worked out. I still can't believe it. I still kind of have to pinch myself and be like, how are these people working with me? Even in the yeah. studio, I was like, sure you want to be here? Yeah. Spend I'm doing this. I don't, I don't get it, but cool. I'll well, take it. <laughs> what it does to me is it just reinforces what I think about the band is, is how unique you guys sound in a genre where it's hard to be unique because if you've got these two guys who heard you and said, I want to be involved in this, then you know, you, it's something special. It's something different. It's not just like, you know, 12 bar blues. It's different. Right. And they definitely were, the last i think like the missing ingredients in our musical recipe we needed there was just something missing and the two of them with the tiniest tweaks and and the smallest suggestions i think really brought all of the songs exactly where we wanted them to be and they're both like weird music too so oh yeah i love so, Reeves stuff I've, I've i've got some of his solo work and it's just it's incredible yeah he's amazing i i I text with him sometimes and I'm like, I'm texting with Reeves. Oh, he's really, he's really funny. He's got <laughs> very dry. Oh, that's awesome, <laughs> man. So you, you released two singles, Mermaid and Lover by Proxy. And I'm, I've only heard Lover by Proxy a couple times because it just was, I just heard it today. I just yes. got the link today to hear it. And it's so good. I want to talk a little bit about Mermaid, though, because that chorus just rips. I love that song. It Thank is, you. Oh, that's, my you know, that's another song. It started out slow blues. I brought it to Greg. 
and he made it fierce. Uh, that riff is is crazy. Oh yeah, but you're singing and this is incredible. is okay too <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm just serious I, i'm loving i saw okay so this is i i try to go as deep as i can with with my guests because i don't want to ask the same questions that you get asked over and over again mm-hmm. and i saw a show that you did with your dad yes the law dogs yeah. <laughs> that was funny I, it was cool and at first i didn't realize it was your dad until he introduced himself yeah and i'm like i'm like what is this is because it's 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 what was that show for it looked like it was like a charity show or something or, I, it's weird it's like me on stage with a bunch of old men yes yeah. <laughs> what has happened um so there's an organization called law rocks okay and it's a battle of the bands and each band is sponsored by a law firm and, and everyone in the band has to be a lawyer, a lawyer, but each band is allowed one ringer. Uh. one. And so basically it's a battle of the bands and you get the firm to donate money and then you, ha- you pick a charity. So the band that wins in the end, all the money goes to their charity. I mean, and each charity ends up with money. In fact, actually, all the charities get money. It's just the band that wins in the end gets to play an extra song or something like oh, that. Oh, cool. And, you know, it is kind of, when I first heard about it, I'm like, this is a weird idea. Like, why does anybody want all these lawyers in one place at the same time and playing music? Yeah. Like, But there are a lot of uh, lawyer musicians out there, uh, and some of them are not too bad. Um, yeah. And so it's something my dad and I did started doing and um, he just became, I mean, obsessed, obsessed with, (laughs) and then decided, well, we're never going to win because his, he he would always complain. His firm wouldn't give that, give him enough money for us to be able to say we won in the end. (laughs) It's a a whole weird, weird thing. Ah, So he was like, the rules i'm gonna have greg play too i'm gonna have multiple ringers and i'm just and we'll be disqualified every time but we'll still raise money and we'll sound better than anyone else it was like great oh Uh, i love your dad yeah so and we just kept doing it and and we would argue you know he's my dad so we love each other but rehearsals we would argue he said are you sure that's the right key for you it sounds too high and i'm like actually make it even higher i can sing that high and stop bossing around and blah 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 and then we play the show (laughs) and um so yeah i could hear some of that between the songs when you and your dad is trying to introduce a song and you're like ah, they don't need to know that yeah. <laughs> and i'll give you credit because i don't know that i could sit up on, on stand up on a stage and sing uh zz top's tush with one of my right. parents on the stage with me yeah well that's the funny story behind that song and it really made my mom mad but <laughs> When we played that show, I mean, it was the Me Too uh, era. Okay. And um, we, we go to play the song, and my dad, 
introduces it and goes, now, what does every guy need? Some tush. And my mom is like, Steve, inappropriate. Like, <laughs> not, no, this is bad. This is bad. <laughs> and I, I yelled that a lot after that. After that. <laughs> you know, he's an old, he's an old lawyer. What is, hey. He's not necessarily hip to... Uh, what and not appropriate. Yeah, he's 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 a lawyer. He's not a social justice warrior, right? <laughs> but I, I tell you what, you did tear up Black Dog on that video. That was awesome. That was another one where he was like, "I think this song is too high for you." Screw you, Dad. <laughs> That's I'm going to isolate that part. This is going to be the intro. Screw you, Dad. Screw you, Dad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look back to the the new album. I, I, was looking at my notes and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that law dog. I gotta ask her about that. <laughs> I hate that band band name too. And he made t-shirts that had my little brother's a picture of my little brother's dog and a hot dog. And then law dogs on the top. Oh jeez. I have like 30 of them. I'll send you one. I would wear it. <laughs> I would absolutely wear that. The most ridiculous shirt I've ever seen. But <laughs> So, Mermaid and Lover by Proxy. Yes. Are those written out of experiences, or, or are those uh, just something that came out of your head? Um, I mean, those are, I guess, both. Those are things that kind of came out of my head while I was going through some stuff. So, okay. Mermaid was definitely, I mean, that one, I wrote all those lyrics sitting at a bar. Pete's Candy Store, of course, plays a very <laughs> role in in our band's history. You know, the lyrics in that song, right, when I say um, I was walking, it had just rained, and I noticed I was looking around like the clouds were purple. It was like this dark sky and pur- the clouds were purple. And so I just started writing stuff down as I was walking around and kind of lamenting the loss of this partner that I guess I was more into than he was into me, which is a story of my life, but oh. uh, I, I can be very intense, I think, but um, <laughs> no are. And, and so even the words just like homemade dynamo and a two hearted pale boy, right? So two hearted pale boy, it's Bell's IPA. It's a tap at the bar. Um, homemade Dynamo. They had homemade Fireball they were selling, which is disgusting. But wow, witched out. You know, I so so a lot of it is stuff that I was just observing and writing down. But I was writing them kind of in the haze of this failed romantic experiment. So so yeah, I, I don't know. That came out of my head, but, but inspired by stuff I was actually going through and same thing with lover by proxy. It's about the same person. And, and uh. I was that one. I was pissed <laughs> mermaid. I was sad Lover by proxy. I was pissed off. I, yeah, I get that. I, <laughs> uh, what can I, like I said, I haven't had, had a chance to hear the whole album yet. What can we expect with the rest of the album? Um, there are some songs in there. I mean, Mojo Hand, for example, is not autobiographical. Well, actually, that's a lie. I just lied to you. <laughs> it, it actually was inspired by Greg had a girlfriend who passed away. Oh, wow. And she had given him a Mojo Hand, which is like something from New Orleans that she had sent him that you keep in a box and you're supposed to keep it 
in her kitchen cupboard and it wards off evil spirits and like bad juju. And so that's the dead, dead boyfriend's mojo hand. But the lyrics on that are purely like fantasy. So there's, there are some songs like that, that are more stories that don't have anything to do with us that I would say are more along the lines of like a Pink Floyd song. They're dreamy and like fantastical and and all that um i read that you were very influenced by david lynch yes so i mean i would say actually if the one thing that ties all of these songs together is i feel like everything we wrote we wrote like we were going to play it on that stage in twin peak for the bands so everything is a little eerie a little murdery like a little sad um melancholic um so you just you don't have like just a happy rock song and like yay i love her she loves me blah 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 you know it's very we we wrote this album for i would say this is like our love letter to david lynch Um, and just like in his movies and shows right there's definitely a retro aspect to what he does oh yeah but but then aliens show up so it's like (laughs) yeah a lot of the past and a lot of the future and the in between. And I think, I think that is kind of described this album. That. Lots of love songs, lots of oh. breakup songs, songs about dead friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, normal stuff. Uh, actually, in one song, Waiting for the Teeth, I talk about catching a mouse with a wooden mouse trap. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is so appropriate. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's all coming. It's all coming together. It's it all does. coming circle. I, I love it when shows come full circle. It makes me feel good. <laughs> I threw that box at the <laughs> over in the corner, and and there has been no noise since. So, hmm. I think it's gone, but it's definitely alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, I mean, it could be a Lynch, Lynchian alien. Who knows? Like Mulholland Drive, like when everybody was miniature. When was- oh my God, that's probably what it exactly what it is. I'm gonna write a song about that now. Yes, awesome. <laughs> I'm so. taking it off. I was hungover until like 2 p.m. today and locked out of my apartment. So, oh, was that did the mouth lock you out? Yeah, probably, you know, <laughs> I, the mouse stole the keys out of my purse before I took it from the kitchen. And this song is writing itself. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> well, oh my. when is when, when, <laughs> I want to ask you about the new album, but I got to compose myself first. <laughs> <laughs> So when does the new album drop? When can people hear it and how can they get it? Can they pre-order it? And um, So yes, once I get my app together, you'll be able to pre-order it. Right now you can uh, go to our Spotify um, and pre-save it. Okay. Um, and uh, the album will be released in the September of 2021. Um, we will release another single called Mojo Hand that we just decided, you That's and I right. decided. We did. Executive decision. In August. And um, yeah, well, hopefully we'll have a big album release show. Reeves will come down and play with us and oh. we'll sell 
sell a bunch of merch and uh yeah we actually the album the the hard copies of the album are being made right now so oh, as soon as awesome. they're ready um we'll start the pre-orders uh which will probably be on our website which is w.lizzieandthemakers.com excellent all right and is there a social media presence that people can follow you yes we're on instagram facebook twitter tiktok though i don't really tweet and i make tiktok video once every four weeks uh, <laughs> i just i said to someone one of my friends i said you know i think i'm just too old and it just takes too much time and he said no you just don't care enough and i'm like you're right uh, i really just i don't know I, tiktok and i <laughs> it's it's a a work in progress. I don't, I'm, I'm too old for TikTok for sure. My kids love TikTok and uh, yeah, they're teenagers. You're supposed to post like three times a day, editing these videos, making them interesting. Dan and they're all dancing and dancing. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't get it. My I have, I, I have performance anxiety <laughs> when it comes to TikTok. <laughs> out there has any advice for me or maybe wants to help me run my tiktok i'm game that's not me yeah maybe maybe my niece can help me she's <laughs> she's four that's like tiktok age, that, oh right? that is absolutely that's okay that's perfect tiktok age i'm i'm old i'm f facebook but that's mainly for family at this point because every everybody <laughs> nobody does any of this crap anymore i'm trying to figure out where the hell everybody went I know. I think, I mean, we're, I would say our strongest presence is on Instagram. Like I will announce everything on there. I will share every single live videos, our show, our gig schedule. Awesome. That's just because it's like simple. You're just like post done. I love um, Instagram. I, I do events. We have a Facebook page that I, I monitor pretty regularly. Um, that is definitely for the over 40 crowd. That's me. <laughs> That's me. Everybody, everybody's important. Well, I know I've kept you for you know over an hour at this point. Thank you so much for spending so much time with me. I've had a blast. Thank you for the moral support with my kitchen creature. <laughs> if I can help you out with that anymore, I would. I I'll let you know what comes out. I I now I think it's in the oven. Oh. I'll let you. Know. Well, that's easy to take care of. Well, yeah, right? Just fry the stuff. Just, yeah. Turn it on. Kill the mice. Hey, you know what? I'm with you on that. I hate mice. <sighs> oh, they're so gross. And and attention stealers. I'm trying to do it. They're so assholes. So
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 